0: or even if they don't, today is May the 4th. It's a Friday. This is episode 895 of the Survival Podcast. And I know what you're thinking. It's Friday, Friday, Friday. So we're going to do a listener call call show. Nope. Kick the listener call show out till Monday. It's already recorded when I'm saying this. But the reason I'm, I'm, I'm moving this show up is the guys that I'm going to bring on today are working really hard on a really cool project that you're about to hear about. Their names are Sam Baggett and Will Bratton. Uh, Sam Baggett, I'm sorry, and Will Bratton. And uh, I think you're going to want to help them out. And they're running a Kickstarter, uh, which is where people can contribute to help them get a project off the ground. And as of right now, you'll hear us talk about it. They were close. But now that I'm doing the intro for the show the next day, they've met their goal of $10,000 to do to this project. But they want to take it even further. Their Kickstarter only runs five days from Friday. So if I waited, full, went through the weekend and all, they don't have like a day left. So I wanted to put them on the air long enough where you guys can help them out. Uh, They're looking at turning agricultural automation on in a new way that can help the average person, the small farmer, the homeowner automate 80% or more of the work that goes into maintaining a garden and to be able to grow what you want, when you want, where you want, anytime you want. And there's a lot of work to be done and a lot of really great stuff being done with open source agriculture and ecology and this is just part of that so that's why I've kicked the uh, interview show out till Monday remember I am actually in on my way to Montana by the time you're listening to this and I'll be there all next week do have shows for you next week listener call show on Monday Stephen Harris on Tuesday and I'll see if I can get some stuff done in Montana I didn't put a whole backlog of shows up because I'm hoping to be able to do things like interview Paul Wheaton when I'm up there or maybe even Sepp I don't know I think I'll have to talk to him through an interpreter but maybe I can get some stuff done in the field for you. If not, maybe I'll run some reruns uh, for you. But I am in Montana and I'm trying to make that educational for me and fun for my wife. So it is going to be a vacation as well. Anyway, uh, before I bring on uh, Will and Sam, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by helping to make sure the show's here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week, most weeks out of the year anyway. Uh, uh, Today's sponsor of the day number one is MERS Radio. I was just talking on the Zello channel with some TSP listeners about how awesome MERS is and how the security function, when I talk about how there's four sectors that you can set up so that you have your radio, you have your base station, you have about a mile to two miles of communication, and you have these motion sensors for security on your property, people think, well, if there's only four sectors, then I can only have four detectors. No, you can have eight, ten, twelve, whatever, because you can designate an area sector one. And you'd have three or four uh, sensors monitoring that area, all set to do alert sector one. So you've got secondary communications. You've got security. You've got it all in one package. It's affordable. It's easy to use. doesn't require a license. If your property has any size to it at all and you have areas you can't see, what a great way. Now think about this. If you combine security cameras with this and you have only two people in your house, one person could be in the house watching the cameras. You could have the radio with a Vox earpiece in. That person in the house can be telling you what they see on the cameras, and the sensors can tell you what they see on the ground. It's a force multiplier in a very cool way. Check them out today, MERSradio.com. Actually, it's MERS-radio.com. Next up today, Safe Castle Royal, the original survival podcast sponsor, the first company that ever said, hey... Uh, we want to sponsor you. How do we do that? They've been with us now over three and a half years. Uh, when their contract came up for renewal, they renewed for an entire year immediately. They give away their discount buyer's club to the MSB, and they sell everything and anything you can think of for practical preparedness, from long-term storage food to tactical stuff. And their sister company, Safe Castle LLC, provides and builds some of the most uh, amazing hard shelters you'll find anywhere in the world. So check them out today. Website is prepared.pro. But remember, the best way to find any of our sponsors go to the survivalpodcast.com click on their banners in the right hand margin and then you know you're dealing with somebody i actually personally endorse Not a brand pirate because, folks, they're out there. Next up, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. I'll just leave it at that today. You know what all that good stuff's about. But there should be plenty of video coming back uh, using the iPhone and this new product that I'm hoping shows up today. I'm just waiting for it. I ordered it two-day air, the swivel thing. I think it's going to be cool uh, to improve my uh, video work for you guys. But Facebook and Twitter, without saying, gets a lot of information put out on it that I don't put out on the show. Uh, next up, remember you can check out TSP Copper for some cool copper medallions, and they're also AOCS currency. Again, TSPcopper.com. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. And I'll tell you what, while I'm away, I'm gonna run a sale until I get back. So this runs from today until and I'm just deciding to do this right now. May 13th, get your first year of member support brigade for 35 bucks. That's right. 15 bucks off. Discount code Big Sky. B-I-G-S-K-Y because I'm in Big Sky Country in Montana. All lowercase letters. Big Sky, $15 off your first year of MSB. New customers only. I can't manually adjust accounts and stuff while I'm away. It'll be too hard. Uh, but I gotta board the dogs while I'm gone. I gotta board the cats while I'm gone. I gotta pay for my airfare. Maybe I can recoup some of that because I'm doing this more as uh, as a service and an educational thing. Uh, I'm not being compensated anyway to go up there. Uh, you know, their compensation is allowing me to come up there for a reduced cost. Uh so uh maybe you can help pay the kennel bill for me, discount code BigSky, fifteen bucks off your first year of membership. So if you've been on the fence, now's the time to join. Uh with that, I've got everything wrapped up and I am uh again uh ready to bring on two guys I think are very cool young men making a real difference. Uh Will Bratton and Sam Baggett uh who will want to talk to us today about something called Hortodomi and how that's going to automate agriculture hey will sam welcome to the survival podcast hey thank you very much this is kind of cool this is the first time i think i've ever interviewed two people that were in two different places at the same time
1: yeah it's It's technology man man. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah yeah it's not hard to do we just don't usually get the request but i'm glad to have you guys on and i love what you guys are doing and uh could you just kind of explain to people what is, uh, Hortodormi or Hortodomi and how does it rate, relate to your mission? Of course, your organization is called Outer Babylon, so maybe kind of cover what Outer Babylon is as well.
2: Cool. You want me to take this, in? Uh, yeah, yeah, go for it, Will. Hi, how's it going? Uh, my name is Will Bratton, um, one half of Outer Babylon, and our goal is to, uh, take 21st century open technology and opens, uh, kind of like, um, it's, Creative Commons, like instead of copyleft or pardon me, instead of copyright it's copyleft it's just uh, information and and uh, technology that's available to everyone, so using modern open technology to automate uh, food production so that people can have healthy food uh, available to them at their you know residence that we can uh, get out of these poisonous food systems that we 're involved in today and uh, regain a level of independence and I think that 's something that most of us are interested in.
0: So that means that if you guys, when you guys develop this thing, and we're going to talk about how folks can help in a little bit through Kickstarter, but if you guys develop this thing and anybody else wants to build one anywhere, they can get all the information on how to build it, what components, all the, all the information about, you know, what you guys did to get where, you know, to your final design, and they can build it too without any type of trademark infringement or copyright infringement. So it's basically, uh, development for the common good. The, the knowledge is there for everyone, correct? Exactly. exactly.
2: And if they make any upgrades or make the system better, which we hope they will and, and, and assume they will because everybody is, you know, better at one thing than another, then it just keeps getting better for everyone and, uh, you know, crowdsourced innovation.
0: So instead of uh, competition for who can make the best one, it's competition for who can make the one-for-all better. Exactly. Yes. Very cool. So and what is, what is I mean, because you guys are working on this project called Hortodomi. What is that, and, and exactly what does it do? I mean, I know it grows food, but for people that maybe haven't seen your videos or, or whatever, you kind of explain what it looks like and what it does.
2: Sure. It's a uh, raised bed garden uh, that's a decagon shape, so it's close to circular. It's covered in a dome, and it's an automated uh, growing environment, so you can grow about 80% of your diet, you know, your produce, uh, inside this unit, trying to get an individual's diet uh, independent or you know, sustainable and it has an earthworm bed at the center so that, uh, the produce is exceptionally nutrient and mineral rich, uh, using food as medicine kind of an idea. Um, and hortodomi is Latin, uh, for garden at home. So it's kind of a taxonomical classification for what we're trying to develop.
0: So even though there's a dome, the Domi is a Latin word. It doesn't really have anything to do with the... Right. Yeah, it's, a, it's a play
2: on. It's a play on words, but it actually refers clever. to domicile. Right.
0: Very, very, very clever. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Sam, did you want to say oh, something?
1: Oh, I just said yes. Uh, oh, okay. That makes sense. I like oh, to play on words, too.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, kind of what, so so we're growing our own food at home, but all this automation, what type of automation is is there that is part of this system? So, I mean, people generally, they have to tend a garden, they have to fertilize a garden, they have to water a garden, they have to harvest, they have to weed. What components does this system actually automate? All
1: right. Uh, you mind if I take this one? Please Okay, so um, for the most part we're we're planning on an open source implementation of a uh, a central kind of computer that will monitor different aspects of the garden like the moisture, the temperature, and uh, any type of aspect that the open source community and us can come up with as far as regulating the the perfect environment to grow vegetables. And uh, I'll go through a couple of those in a second, but I'll just say, first of all, that the idea is that we want to try and automate as much of the manual labor as possible. That way, the gardener can concentrate on the things that they're more interested in, like harvesting and cooking and that type of stuff. And so with that said, some of the things that we're concentrating on, of course, are soil moisture with uh, sensors going through the computer and telling it when to water the 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 actual plants themselves also soil moisture probes that are put into the worm bed that help keep it at the right moisture and help keep the worms uh breeding that way they can go out into the bed and uh fix the nitrogen and fix all the the perfect environment for those plants and as well will's working on of course an extension to the irrigation system that will have uh uh it's own nutrient injection system. So the computer would also do some smart analysis on, uh, when to inject different types of nutrients and how much of each nutrient. You know, just typical stuff of mixing chemicals and. Have- Ministering them to the plants and all of that type of stuff, all of that can be automated. So it's one little innovation, as well as um, Will, I know, has talked about a hydrogen peroxide mixture that can clean pests off of plants and how that, that could be misted onto the plant. And so the idea there would be it, when it's deemed by the computer that it needs to have a cleaning or some sort of treatment through maybe molasses or any type of organic pesticide, we could actually mix that up turn some pumps on mix that up and mist it onto the plants let it sit there for 30 minutes with the computer and then the computer would turn on the watering uh cycle to wash the the pesticide it wouldn't be conventional pesticide of course all organic maybe you know hydrogen peroxide and wash all that stuff off so these are the types of things that we're really aiming to automate in a very easy to use user-friendly manner to you know Uh, so that average people don't have to worry about it as much, and they don't have to be as familiar with peroxide treatments and cleansing the plants. And so, I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen.
0: So, so, I mean, looking at it that way, there's certain things that we could determine with a sensor, like there's a need for this now, like moisture is an easy one. But then there would be other things that maybe we would just say that this needs to happen pretty much every two weeks. And instead of the the gardener or permaculture coming out and mixing the stuff up and doing at a two-week interval throughout the summer, um, the, the, as long as the system's hooked up to a reservoir containing whatever that substance is, it just knows on Friday at 3 o'clock, pull from here and stick it there.
2: Exactly. Yeah, Perfect. exactly. It's just exactly. establishing the system and then, and then uh, you know, setting up the dominoes and then knocking the first one over, just uh, getting everything set up right the first time and then letting the modern technology take care of it.
0: And I also noticed on some of your videos, like you have these domes set up and it looked like you were working in kind of a cooler part of the year, but you also had some garden beds that were outside of the dome that were cool weather plants. And I imagine in summer, I don't really want a, a, a greenhouse type environment. So this system can actually, you know, function in multiple environments
2: there's going to be levels in that process uh... the first one's going to be the modular covers um, here in texas it gets hot during the summer you're right we don't want a greenhouse environment uh... year-round so we're gonna experiment with some shade covers uh... Up further north the thin plastic that we're using here won't suffice so uh... we're hoping people will experiment with something like a, a uv bubble wrap or something with a higher insulation and then at some point um... to really uh... be able to bridge those different um... Uh, regional gaps. We're probably going to have to hack a an air conditioning or some other type of uh, environmental uh, conditioning unit to really be able to reach lower temperatures.
0: Yeah, there's because so, I mean your guys' goal, from what I was reading, was to let people grow anything they exactly. want wherever they want. So we might in some places have to reduce temperature and some yeah. other places have to raise it. Exactly. So with what you're working on right now, what kind of electrical power draw requirements have you run up against? Like how much energy does it take to run this thing?
1: Um, it doesn't take a lot of energy. The fans, depending on how long they're kept on, they pull a little bit of energy, but they're fairly small fans. The setup that we have in our first um, in our first prototype was kind of a, – a, One that could be used in a cold environment and also one that can be used to supplement light. So the lighting that we chose for that one was one that can produce UV, which is a sodium bulb, And also produces a lot of heat to, you know, keep the plants warm in, say, a more northern environment. We wanted to build that prototype first because it's the more difficult one rather than just a simple heating element to heat the plants. And so the current one that we have has a ballast, uh, a lighting ballast for that sodium bulb involved. And that draws some energy when it's on. And so we actually haven't done a lot of testing on how much energy that pulls because, of course, it's, it's... so hot in Texas anyways, we'd need a real reason to, like, turn it on for long periods of
0: time. Sure. Sure, that makes sense. But what I love about this whole open source concept is when somebody looks at it and says, well, where I'm at, I would wrap that thing in shade, you know, hardware cloth. And, and you know, the response in this kind of a community world is, well, please do. Exactly. Yes. And then report your information back to us and how you did it so that other people can do it. And if someone up north says well, you know, I could set this thing up so that it had plastic during the day, but there was a dome that came out and covered it at night to increase the heat retention, please do. Yes. Yeah. That's the spirit. And, I mean, and I've heard a term you guys are using called neo-renaissance. Is, is are we kind of tripping on that now or is that I something hope so. Come? I hope so because the alternative is that, that
2: I, I, uh, in university I had to take a globalism class And the popular globalist writers refer to this period as the neo-medieval period. And so that could either go back into a renaissance or back into a feudal. And and I think that's a fair assessment. So we're either
0: going into a neo-renaissance or we aren't. And I'm promoting the the former. I mean, mean. kind of with the renaissance theme, are you saying that as we make the knowledge public and the property private versus the other way around – we we disseminate knowledge and people can then take the land they own and produce for themselves, versus let's make the the knowledge private and 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 the and the property public where the people have no rights to anything.
2: Right. Take it. I, I see it as taking an interdisciplinary, uh, responsible approach to independence. And I mean, it's it's you know it's pretty it's conflicting with today's culture, uh, both taking responsibility, um and and uh, interdisciplinary approach. But I think that's really uh, our only viable solution. We were talking before the show Sam and I um about survival and survivalism and what that means. And and I I kind of I wonder, you know, for, with some people, is survival a short medium or long-term goal? And I think if if we're talking about medium or long-term goals, that this is very much in line with survival.
0: Oh, I completely agree. I mean, it's why I've taught food production from day one. I'm like, I don't care if you're a multimillionaire and you're stocking up a bunker for the apocalypse, you have a finite level of what you can store. And then the reason that we survive is because life's worth living. So living on your own in a hole in the ground. Exactly. Do, it, yeah. that's, to me, that's not survival. That's right. existence. Yeah, exactly. Good call. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, my, my other thought with with what you guys are doing is – how far can it be taken? Because you guys are building this you know, smaller system, but to me this looks like it has enormous commercial potential as well for the commercial grower. It it
2: could, and it's got a total scalability potential, so you could make it smaller or larger anything you like. But, um, I mean, that's going to be a question for each individual in, in their own geographic location and population density, and it's, it's, it's another one of those open questions with how far any one person takes it.
1: Hey and as far as uh, how far can it be taken uh there's some longer term goals with some newer technologies that are coming out that are very interesting I know that there's uh lots of software out for identifying different types of plants and vegetables that could be used to identify tomatoes and then robots could pick the tomatoes and to go into some further automation um so that's coming up in probably the next decade but in the immediate future of what uh, I'm trying to envision for Outer Babylon is actually not just the smart garden system but there's several other components to the Outer Babylon system that we're planning on prototyping like uh, composters, um, we have hen houses, we have uh, chicken, uh, chicken tractors and so our immediate goal as far as the future and where it can be taken, we want to put out some more prototypes that are modular design that are complementary to each other and they work with each other in various ways and that's kind of where we're taking the immediate future and I see lots of promise in in uh, in these other systems. Uh, Hortodome is actually just one of several.
0: Yeah I was just looking at some of your videos getting ready for this interview and I saw your chicken tractor and then you just kind of pointed to something else and said and then there's this Something here. The pasturing
1: like, halo, I believe. Yeah,
0: what is that? Explain that to me. It looks well, cool. it's, uh, okay,
2: so right now, uh, pasturing is done typically in these square, they call them chicken tractors, I don't think it's the best name, but these mobile cage units that allow the producer to maintain control over their, their, uh, poultry or their rabbits. Um, but they're just not, uh, built for easy automation. So I was thinking uh, as far as pasturing and, and the uh, idea of giving them a fresh pasture every day, that what lends itself to automation would probably be a circular uh, line or a circular uh, configuration. So what we have is uh, a cage, a pasturing cage that's shaped more like a pie slice that'll rotate uh, maybe along 12 different points in this circle and it, it, with very little energy output and they still get their fresh pasture every day.
0: That's cool, and here's what it also makes me think of: like the way squares fit together. By the time you complete, let's say a line down and a line back, you pat you put those animals on 100% of what was available. The little spaces that would be left between circular overlaps, by the time you ran a second cycle, are like these little reservoirs of seed and things like that that are left behind if you if you set it up that way. You know, you kind of catch my my meaning there.
2: Yeah.
0: No, I'm sorry. Could, could, you, could you rephrase that? I'm sorry, I didn't quite get well, it. Well, think about like if you had uh, run squares or rectangles down a line down a field, mm-hmm. and you'd move your tractor each time. When you get done with that, that entire line has been picked over heavily by your birds um, or, your, or your rabbits. As you come back, you've done it again, you keep doing it until you get to the end, and then maybe you come all the way back to the beginning and, and run it again, and you get past your time to, to recoup. When you take a circular form, if you go down one after the other after the other and come back, you'll have these little pockets that weren't, act, you know, if you if you do it right. that yes. way, that exactly. were not picked over, and those are like your rehabilitative, rehabilitative uh, little zones little that help that picked pasture rehabilitate itself. Sure, no, I can see where that would be. Uh, yeah. Absolutely recuperative. Yeah. that's. I mean, I don't know if it works, but it just when you set it, and I thought of a circle versus a square, it leaves those little components. I guess that's from reloading shot shells my whole life. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. And think about the way
0: the spheres fit into the shell.
1: And also, of course, because it's a circle, you could throw a little motor in the middle of it and it would, you know, every day turn it, you know, 20 degrees or something. So it would slowly chase as opposed to you having to go out there and manually move your chicken tractor every day. And if the halo was big enough, you could just set it out there and it would just spin all year round and uh and then there'll be a hatch on one side to reach in there and grab the eggs so you pretty much just walk out there and just grab eggs and make sure that it has watering and that type of stuff make sure your chickens are happy and
2: uh and that's a that's a as far as like we were talking about words earlier like halo actually it's an old word that comes from uh when they had the oxen tied up at the at the grinding stone and they'd walk in a circle that that circle was the halo so i think it it's uh it, it going back to the original concept of, of what a halo is.
0: Very cool. Um, another question I had for you is you keep talking about food as medicine. So do you guys, what is the difference between food as medicine and food as we see it in our current system? Obviously there's toxins and things, but there's got to be more to what you're saying there.
2: I think it has a lot to do with mineral and nutrient content. Uh, the, the, it's hard to say what you're measuring, but it's freshness. I know some people use the word like bioenergessence or, or other words like this, but um, just it's 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 living quality, how how alive it is. Um, there's something to that. Uh, I don't I don't know what else to say about it. It's health is probably the best uh, condition of life.
1: Well, what I would think about that is, you know, for the most part, the body and the the genetic strain, you know, the DNA. And any animal is pretty resilient and it knows for the most part how to heal itself in most situations, disease, um, you know, injury and that sort of thing. And so um, what I've noticed lots of people talking about in the general theme in health and nutrition is that when people are eating these refined foods and they're eating, uh, you know, chemical preservatives and stuff, it's really actually – though they don't notice it it's building up um, uh the it's basically damaging the natural parts of the body or complicating them in such a way where the body's no longer able to heal itself the way that it should be able to so these detox things that people think of and the you know the micronutrients that people are talking about the superfood type conversations that everyone's having I think that all those are in line with really purifying the body back to a state where it is able to fix itself again and uh, and recover from lots of these things. Even, you know, there's lots of people believe in stuff like uh, Gerson's diet is, you know, the, the juice diet stuff that can uh, supposedly cure cancer. He cured his daughter of leukemia with it and some other things. So I think that pure whole foods... And hard work and an active lifestyle is basically the best medicine and the ideal situation that the human body, the ideal environment for the human body to live long and prosperous and healthy. So that's why I try and think of food as medicine rather than wait till we get sick and then take a bunch of pills. The food and our nourishment to our body should be the medicine that we think of every day. That's the healing force to humanity.
2: Maybe a more appropriate way of, of saying it, though I like food as medicine, is food as preventative medicine. Because mm-hmm. what we're doing it, so often in eating food from these, uh, you know, food chains that we are now, the production chains that we are, we're eating poison. We're eating, uh, preservatives and other chemicals. We're eating GMO. And the, the intergenerational, uh, genetically modified, uh, cru- uh, crop studies are out. And it does lead to sterility, infertility, uh, decreased IQ. Um, even some, sh- uh, studies have shown that third generation, uh, of rodents being fed genetically modified crops show 95% sterility with hair growing in the mouth. Um, and that's, you know, we, humans' generations take a little bit longer
0: and uh, I'd rather my-, my Which gives g- us more time to do damage, right? More time to do damage and more time part, to do yeah. preventative, um, yeah. measures. Yeah. yeah on, on your food is medicine thing, I kind of think of it as like, a, a, a two-pronged approach, uh, maybe even three. So- on one level, it's just getting the crap that's already in your system from mass-produced food out, and there's ways we can cleanse that and all, but the best method is to stop putting it in, and then okay. the body will eliminate yeah. it. Exactly. It stop back it. Then the other side is the food that we're eating is so nutritionally poor in quality because it's not being fertilized with, like, you guys are using, you know, molasses and fish emulsion and, and real nutritive uh, thing so then we start putting food into our bodies that actually not only doesn't have toxins but does have these, these, these essential elements that our bodies are designed to run on so then we have kind of the, the preventative thing with those two uh, but then the other side of it is your body knows what it needs so when you're ill it, 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 some things that maybe are there as a nutritive value as prevention but aren't really drawn on heavy will be drawn on with the innate intelligence of the body during a time of illness so the Certainly. body can rectify itself. Exactly. Yeah, you got it. So I, I think we're speaking the same language yeah, there. Sure. It drives me, uh, it makes me happy when I don't have to explain things to people because we already are on the same place. So there, and, all
1: right. So um what I was saying was I think that uh, these types of conversations and this food is medicine theory has significant long-term uh, ramifications on individuals' lives, helping them be healthier and live better lives. But also as far as a larger scope sociological problem, I think that lots of the things that are going on in the U.S. today and in the world are because people are so nutrient deficient, you know, People just aren't healthy and happy. So I think that if people were to be able to fix their lives and fix their bodies and be more relaxed and heal themselves and be more food independent, I think there would be significant changes in the overall of society. And, uh, and I think that that would be a very positive thing. I mean, one of
0: our biggest expenses healthcare wise globally and especially domestically in the United States right now is type 2 diabetes. And if you're eating pastured poultry, pastured rabbits, uh, you know, pastured beef, mostly vegetables, because you're only going to grow so much grain if you're taking on the responsibility yourself, you ain't going to be fat. And if you ain't fat, then you, you, your odds of contracting diabetes uh, are dramatically reduced, almost to the point of n- not going to happen for type 2. There's a few exceptions yeah. to that case, but, you know, uh, they just did a study recently where they put type 2 diabetics, and this is a bit extreme, but they put them on a 650 calorie a day d- uh, diet in 60 days there was 100% remission, not not 99, 100% oh, wow. with, with a test size of, like, 450 participants. Wow. And, of course, they weren't happy yeah, about 650 me. calories, but it does kind of prove the theory, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So. So, so my other thought is with this, you know, I, I love the fact that we're using technology. We're not scorning technology and trying to go back to oxen pulling a, a plow, right? Um so so part of with that is, but we do want independence, so there's a lot of people here trying to live as off-grid as possible. So what's the potential to take your system off-grid?
1: Uh, well, I was thinking about that, uh, and that's uh, one of people's big concerns, too. We, Our first implementation, we're going to try and put out in a forest off by itself, but then I figured there would be a lot of debugging on it, so I put it in my backyard instead. So it has been a primary concern of ours from the beginning, And I figured that uh, for the most part, it would be a solar solution um, if we could hook up a series of solar panels and also just keep the electrical output low. I don't think that it needs a lot. It needs electricity and water, of course. So as long as there's – you could post some of these domes up by a well and and a couple of solar panels, and it would work really well. You could post it by a river with some solar panels and have a a drawing – uh, a drawing pipe into the river or into a spring or a reservoir a lake. So um,
2: the way it's set up, it's already using uh, less than twenty percent of the water that a typical agricultural production operation would, and I would venture to say probably closer to like twelve or fifteen percent. We're still trying to get the numbers on that, but um, you're you're going to be using less water. It just retains so much more, and it really is pretty energy efficient. Uh, so it's going to be how much of an off grid uh, system do they already have established.
0: And It would also seem to me that if you wanted to like really lean out the efficiency, if you were to locate it in such a way that your water, let's say from any source, rain catcher whatever, were in a position higher than where it's being delivered to, yes. instead of pumping, you can just basically use electricity to open and close valves, exactly. which yep. is even lower draw. But a pump to do what you're doing is not like a high draw well pump anyway. It's a, it's a pretty low draw device. Yeah. Very. Very. So, I mean, I think you guys made the right choice to build it with grid power because all the stuff that goes wrong, you can focus on getting the system to work. And then once you know the draw requirements, then you build the energy system to meet the draw requirements.
1: And it's also about the open source community. When uh, we wanted to make the base unit that people can put in their backyards or wherever that plugs into the wall and everything, that way more people have an, an, the option of adopting it or trying it. And then the people will adapt their own personal concerns, like survival, uh, energy independence, uh, you know, off the grid stuff. They'll they'll make any modifications they want, and hopefully they'll post those back to us. So there will be something on the site that says, "Hey, if you want this to go off the grid, here is." uh you know, uh, Sean Jacobs' solution from Wisconsin in his videos on on how to actually put up the solar panels, how to put the watering bin higher and just hook the solenoids up to uh, be valves to turn on uh, with water pressure, gravitational water pressure. So that's where the open source community is beautiful because it'll come in and it'll make adaptations as as needed and appropriate.
0: When you guys look at this long term and full development and I'm going to tell people now and we'll give them more details toward the end of the show that they can help you out on Kickstarter by making some donations. I donated about 100 bucks to you guys right before we started doing the show. Thank you very much. Um, but you guys are trying to raise about 10 grand to do all the research, development and things like that. But in your mind's eye and based on what you know so far what is going to be the cost for a person to build a system once all the kinks are worked out, realizing that, you know, regional variants of prices, you might learn something tomorrow you didn't know today, but kind of what's your target range for, pro, you know, project cost?
2: Well, if they went out and bought all the materials uh, at cost at the big box store, I th- we think that you could get in at around $1,200, but so much of this could be built out of reclaimed materials. Uh, so much of this could be built out of you know uh, improvised materials that you could really drop the cost a lot more than that. But we just wanted to build something uh, with a uniformity that anyone you know at least on on this continent could reasonably source those uh, precise material uh, lists for, and 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 make any changes after that. But you could, I mean, what do you think, Sam? Under five, if you reclaimed or improvised all the basic building materials.
1: Yeah, certainly, and and it all comes down to you know the modifications that uh, what people um, what people want out of it. But yeah, it could be. I'm sure people one of people's main concerns is going to be price of parts, efficiency of build process. So um, I feel like that'll boil down. Right now, like Will said, I think um, I think we built our first prototype for around twelve or fourteen hundred. Right. And that was us completely not knowing how to do it, buying everything, and just seeing what worked for run number one.
0: I mean, and that's part of the value of helping you guys out, that by the time you get this bolted down, I don't have to go out and buy something and go, well, that doesn't really work. Well, I should have bought this, and I eat that cost. Right. Yes. We'll we'll figure that out for you. (laughs) (laughs) And and this this system of the size that you're talking about here, you know, with a $1,200 off-the-shelf box store price, say sub 500 bucks using reclaimed materials, will that run multiple domes or a bigger dome than the little one that's on the side? Or I mean, what's the limitation to that? Well, we.
1: Um we actually the the central unit that controls the turning on and off of things where the idea is that that's going to be the central electrical box and it's waterproof and it's rugged outsideable type situation and um so that uh, right now we have one box and one dome but with some modifications that would be the central box for several domes and also let's say you had a A composting system that you wanted to turn on every, you know, every 20 hours, spin it, uh, spin your compost for an hour, and then water it for 20 minutes. And that was an automated system. This electrical box could also be uh, adapted to run that as well. So the, the electrical package, the idea of it is that eventually it would be the central nervous system of your gardening system. It could spin your pasturing halo, turn your watering solenoids on and off. It could inject the fertilizer. It could spin your composter all on settable time intervals or settable sensor readings so it it's really it really comes up to where it's to be taken in the future, like you were saying. the base model that we have right now is one dome with an electrical control system, but in the end you could build build multiple domes and not have to build the electronics uh so, unit, which is uh, a piece of the price
0: so you're thinking about it more as like a command center that runs multiple peripheral systems like. Right. There's boxes that allow you to take one computer and run multiple systems off that computer into multiple monitors, sort of that that taken into an agrarian model. Yes.
2: Like the stone, I think uh, it was described the other day as a device, and I like that description. It is just – it's a raised bed device that you plug into a computer.
0: Very cool. And you guys even have some plans to, like, improve software over time and things like that as well.
1: Oh, certainly. The open source community is really good at the software development. Of course, this, it's the open hardware that's new and kind of cutting edge, but open source software, people contribute, they'll tear it apart and do really interesting things with it.
2: There's a comment I have on that. that I, I, It's a kind of a way that I've been looking at this. Um, Linux is, I mean, it's, it's not real new. What is it, 20-some-odd years? But that um, yeah. it, it, now it, it, it took a, a while for it to grow in popularity, but that now it takes responsibility for something like, uh, over eighty percent of the uh, internet's infrastructure—that's I mean, that's a figure I've seen. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, but, I think that's about right. Um, I, I think that'd be great if we could get to the same place in food uh, through open hardware technology. If if over eighty percent of the food in our infrastructure was produced um, on an open, individual, uh, local kind of um, basis.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you want to just see the success of open versus you know closed source technology, look at Windows uh, Internet Explorer. Versus Firefox. Right. And what can do more for you, keep your computer safer, provide a better user experience, add more add ons, add more plugins. Uh, and in and, and watching that development, and for the people out there, that are going wait. I, all the people I know have Windows-based computers. When they say eighty percent of internet infrastructure, they're talking about the infrastructure. So just because you're sitting on a, a Bill Gates box when you're when you're doing your thing, like frankly I am, that doesn't mean that all those ones and zeros passing through the internet, going through all those different servers, are all in Windows environments. They're as you say, mostly on on, on Linux, and there's there's probably more Unix out there than, than Windows.
1: Yeah, yeah, certainly. You got- and, and Windows
0: costs more. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, get less and pay more. I mean, that's <laughs> that's that's closed source technology and open source technology. You pay less and get more. Um, sometimes it takes opening your mind to things, but it usually has a pretty good payoff.
2: Yeah, certainly, we'd agree.
0: And, and you guys are pretty big on the independence thing as well. Um, I think sometimes when people come from outside, let's say the prepper community, that sometimes they wonder like we're all a bunch of tinfoil hat nuts or something. We're certainly not. Um, but you guys are big on the independence thing, just like my community here. Why is that, you know, one of your big goals? And what are some of your ideas on the question of, let's say, the greater destiny of, of, of people? You know, is, is independence a part of that?
2: I'd say absolutely. Um, I'd say that the vast majority of the problems we deal with today are due to our uh, willful or, or otherwise uh, dependence, interdependence or otherwise um, once you have uh you know a stable footing you can uh voice, you can really start to express um yourself you know what 's freedom of speech if you don't have a microphone or whatever uh however else you want to put that but um that is the question greater human destiny because right now all I see is a bunch of people um eating what they 're being fed and watching whatever 's on television and just going through the motions um but we 're going to keep fighting wars and we 're going to keep going through all those other larger conflicts if we don 't figure out what greater human destiny is.
1: Yes, certainly, and I think that uh, food independence is important towards that goal because um, I've spent a long time thinking about uh, the hierarchy of needs for people, and people basically have different sets of needs that they need to satisfy, whether they be shelter or food or spirituality. And uh so there's different rings of needs and for the most part when people are caught on lower level rings, they don't have time to spend um thinking about and contemplating or reasoning on higher functionalities and needs in life. Say when people don't have food they don't care as much about community. And if they don't have community, they're not as uh they're not as concerned about the world. So by breaking down some of these more uh um, more handleable needs like food distribution. I think people should be able to feed themselves, you know. By giving people the, more ability to feed themselves and worrying about that less, I think that humanity will have time to concentrate on the more important things like, uh, you know, greater human destiny. Why are we here? What is what is our purpose, you know?
0: Yeah, I agree. And I also look at it from, you know, from you just take it down to like a wilderness survival concept. And then say, what kind of power do the companies that provide these needs wield? So if I look at it, if if I took you out in the woods and said, and you didn't know the first thing about wilderness survival, and I sat you down and said, okay, now that we're here, the first thing I'm going to do is talk to you about the five most primary needs we have while we're out here. And I'm going to say food, I'm going to say shelter, I'm going to say water, I'm going to say fire, and I'm going to say security. And if I take fire into the modern world, fire becomes energy. So then if you wanted to ask me, what are the five largest industries in the world, the five most powerful and largest industries in the world the food industry?. Yeah. <laughs> the water infrastructure, right? Security, which is law enforcement, military and private security What's the price tag on that? Yeah. Um, right? OK? Uh, the energy industry that's coal, oil, natural gas, solar, wind, the lot that's probably the biggest industry in the world. Yeah. Um, and uh, food, water, shelter, energy, security. What am I missing? Food, water, shelter, energy, security. I got them all. I left, left one of the industries out, but I think water. Oh, food and
1: water. Yep. That's uh food, food
0: industry. Food, water. No, water's its own thing. Shelter. Shelter. Construction. Look at housing construction. Uh, yeah. The real estate bubble caused a global recession. So those are your five. You know, your five biggest industries in the world are directly tied to our five needs for survival. And that means that those organizations that are the big players in those five sectors have the greatest control over humankind. And it's those five sectors, therefore, that we should be working the most diligently to develop freedom and independence from. Because if you don't control yourself, someone else does. And people have self-interest at heart to a large degree. And so the guy that's controlling your housing, your food, your water, etc., is more concerned about taking care of himself, his family, his company, and his shareholders than you. Yeah. So if you don't do it, who's going to do it? Exactly.
2: Certainly.
0: So um, I, I guess we're we're in we're in sync on the independence thing. And I'd like to have my folks help you guys out. You guys are trying to raise like ten grand at least that's your minimum goal, right? On Kickstarter, and I think you're at ninety seven ninety one right now. I'm sitting here looking at your page.
2: I actually just refreshed.
0: We got to nine 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 one. So we need another oh, nine wow. dollars. We, you guys need nine bucks. So b- by the time this show airs on Tuesday next week, they'll probably be over ten grand. But you, again, you guys, if you raise more than ten thousand, you're going to do more things with it, correct?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's the that's the intention is is that we have all these extra modifications and uh, attachments and, and software uh, advancements that we'd like to take forward. But that stuff takes time, and sometimes it takes skill sets that Sam and I don't have, and we do have to source those. So that's where all that extra money goes, is to actually just making this a better product.
0: And you guys actually have uh, people that want to step up and do more than 10 bucks or whatever. Like people that want to come in like I did at the $99 level. Uh, once this whole thing's done, I'm going to get an instructional DIY manufactured assembly DVD. Software with uh, uh, software with physical uh, paper plans, circuit diagrams, and code. You got some other stuff for people that will step up a little higher. You want to kind of explain what you're doing for folks that want to step up as, like, let's say, a, a heavy hitter donor.
2: Uh, sure. If um, if you just like the electronics package, if you don't feel as comfortable uh, soldering and and plugging in uh, resistors and things like that, uh, we can build you an electronics box for about five hundred dollars and uh, or for a pledge of, of four hundred and ninety nine rather. And if you'd like the lights and fans and all the peripherals that come with it, I think that's $800. Uh, if you'd like the idea and you want us to advance our research a lot faster and, you want us, uh, and you'd like to fund a dome for us to be able to research and develop uh, on and through, then that pledge is about $1,500, and we'd really appreciate those. Um, and then there's, if you'd like your own Hortodomi kit so that you can just bolt it together, plug and play, ready to grow, those are about $2,500.
0: Very very cool. Yeah, and, and we can
2: uh, you can find all of the the pleasure
1: awards and all that stuff uh, at Kickstarter. dot com, and all you got to do is search for Horto Domi or Horto, and you'll see the project there in the little dome. And Horto, of course, is spelled H O R um, T O
2: on Kickstarter. dot com. You can go check under technology, and we're listed under open hardware, and we've been a staff pick. If you go to staff picks, so yeah. That. And I'll
0: put links to you know your Facebook page, your Kickstarter, your website, all of that stuff in today's show notes. I guess the other question I have for you is, once you get this done, there are people like out there that would just go. It's great that all this stuff is turnkey, and I can go buy uh, all these parts, and put it together myself. And it's great that during your pledge, you're you're, you're saying people that do this, you'll you'll in return give them a device. Uh, but do you have plans to actually become, like, say, a, a seller of the technology? Because there's people who would go, I'd rather someone else build it. So are you guys going to, like, go into production on this, or is that going to be left to other people eventually? Or We'd
2: love to if there's, a, if there's that response. We would love to build kits for people.
0: Very cool. And I guess the other question I have is, since this is open source, anybody could, in their area, start up, you know, A a turnkey Hortodomi installation company. We'd love that too. Absolutely. So I I think it's great that it it truly is open source. It's not kind of open. It's if if somebody again wants to set up a business building them, that's fine. If they want to make a component of what they're doing with a with a a larger business, they can do that. If someone wants to improve it, uh, they can do that. And it's just awesome. I do think it's. It's the future of a lot of, of of things in the in the on the hardware side of agriculture, and I know there's an entire community dedicated just to doing that right oh, we've yeah. been
2: surprised at the at the number of people that are' interested and uh also like you were saying uh there's also been an interest from small uh lawn and garden stores that that want to be able to um source kits through uh their local uh I don't know how we we've talked about different. Regional installers, people that know how to install them, or the home and garden store wants to take over the responsibility. But yeah, just it could go viral, right? In a in a hard work kind of way.
0: Yeah, and it's anybody can do it. And it's so what I what I like about this model is in the conventional uh, business world, for instance, if I sell you know something completely useless like lawn irrigation control systems. So if I'm you know company A and I build my box, I'm doing everything I can to patent every little component of my box possible, and then my competitor company, B, is doing the same thing, and we're trying to prevent each other so that now we're going to compete on whose box is better versus who does a better job overall, where if we each can take and use anything that's available in the box, now it goes to a local business model because it's who's going to do the best job advising you of what you need, installing it for you, helping you maintain it, providing you with replacement parts or the knowledge to do it yourself. So we we put the human component back into a technology-side business.
2: Yep, service and support, the same way that Linux uh, makes its living.
0: Very cool. Guys, well, I I appreciate the work you're doing, and I appreciate you guys being on today's show. You guys do have, what, a couple different websites. You've got OuterBabylon.com and Hortodomi.com. Yes. Yes, sir. And the most updates, uh,
2: most up-to-date updates uh, are going to be at the Kickstarter for at least the next six months. That's where you can find all the most uh, up-to-date information.
0: And I'm sure we can find you guys on Facebook as well. Uh, yeah, I've got a link for you guys on Facebook.
2: Yes, sir. sir Twitter, Google Plus, etc.
0: So I'll make sure that all those things are included in the uh, show notes today. And again, guys, thanks for being here. For uh, if you got me. any final thoughts or things that you you, you want to share before we 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 tune out for the day, uh, the floor is yours.
1: I was just uh, hopefully. Um we'll see where it goes i think it's been a really exciting project so far and i thank you for having us on here this is, uh i listen to your your show sometimes so it's uh, pretty nice it's exciting to be on here it's exciting to be a part of this uh project so thank you
2: yeah looking forward to a healthy and responsible future
0: well guys i, I appreciate you being here i'm gonna do one thing real quick that i didn't have i was hoping you were gonna hit 10 grand while you're on the show That'd, That'd be, be great. Great. Uh, Yeah. But uh, it did happen. I was going to cheat and throw nine bucks in there, but I want it to happen naturally. Anyway, guys, uh, I do appreciate you being here today. And, uh, folks, with that, this has been Jack Spirico along with Will Bratton and uh, Samuel Baggett, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing food these days. You know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. Someday we'll realize our children just can't pay. Nobody up.